live from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. To the town of Alfrey who rode a stranger one fine day. Hardly spoke to folks around him, didn't have too much to say. No one dared to ask his business, no one dared to make a slip. The stranger there among them had a big iron on his hip, big iron on his hip. It was early in the morning when he rode into the town. He came riding from the south side, slowly looking all around. He's an outlaw, loose and running, came the whisper from each lip. And he's here to do some business with a big iron on his hip, big iron on his hip. In this town there lived an outlaw by the name of Texas Red. Many men had tried to take him and that many men were dead. He was vicious and a killer, though a youth of 24. And the notches on his pistol numbered one in 19 more. One in 19 more. Now the stranger started talking, made it plain to folks around. Was an Arizona ranger, wouldn't be too long in town. He came here to take an outlaw back alive or maybe dead. And he said it didn't matter, he was after Texas Red. After Texas Red. Wasn't long before the story was relayed to Texas Red. But the outlaw didn't worry, men the tribe before were dead. Twenty men had tried to take him, twenty men had made a slip. Twenty-one would be the ranger with the big iron on his hip, big iron on his hip. The morning passed so quickly it was time for them to meet. It was twenty past eleven when they walked out in the street. Folks were watching from the windows, everybody held their breath. They knew this handsome ranger was about to meet his death, about to meet his death. There was forty feet between them when they stopped to make their play. And the swiftness of the ranger is still talked about today. Texas red had not cleared leather for a bullet fairly ripped. And the ranger's aim was deadly with the big iron on his hip, big iron on his hip. It was over in a moment and the folks had gathered round. There before them lay the body of the outlaw on the ground. Oh, he might have went on living, but he made one fatal slip when he tried to match the ranger with the big iron on his hip, big iron on his hip. Big iron, big iron. When he tried to match the ranger with the big iron on his hip, Big iron on his head. 
Well, good morning from Nashville, Tennessee. I'm your host, Gary Holt, and that is a classic song by Marty Robbins, Big Iron. Joining us in Albuquerque, New Mexico, is our lovely co-host, Miss Bobby Bell. Good morning, Bobby. Good morning, Gary. What's going on there in Tennessee? Rain. Oh. Rain. Rain. Cloudy, rainy, but it's just kind of intermittent. You know, it's not a washout, not any severe weather, so we'll make that. They said that Halloween was going to be absolutely gorgeous, so that's on mm-hmm. Sunday. Are you ready to do a little trick-or-treating? Um, I'm uh, ready to answer the door. Uh, I've got all my <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cups stored away. I love that ad about, you know, get them and then don't answer the door. And <laughs> <laughs> I had some of those Reese's the other day. It was like, okay, Gary got all the Reese's, the girl said. Did, yeah. I didn't leave any. I leave any. Okay. Yeah. That is okay. Uh, hey, I want to say congratulations to Miranda Lambert. She was inducted into the National Cowgirl Museum and Hall of Fame on Tuesday. So she was one of five inductees. And uh, and I happen to know that our friend Joni Harms and her daughter Olivia were there for that induction ceremony as well. So there were five ladies that were inducted. That's quite an honor. But congratulations to Miranda, Texas cowgirl. Just got uh, one of the biggest honors of her life, she said, one of the top five honors that she's ever experienced. So that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. We have a pretty cool show today. As a matter of fact, it's an exciting show that we have lined up today. So who do we have joining us for the Campfire Cafe? Oh, she's standing by, ready to come on in. We have Corinne Marie with us uh, for the first hour at Campfire Cafe. We'll find out where she's calling in from in just a minute. And who do we have in the second hour? Well, in the second hour of the show, there is a brand new movie slash documentary called The Mustangs, America's Wild Horse. And Stephen Latham, who is the producer of that movie, is going to be joining us along with Patty Gruber, who works with Operation Wild Horse, and she's featured in the movie as well. So Patty will be joining us, and uh, we'll be playing some of the music from the soundtrack of that by Bruce Springsteen and Willie Nelson in that second hour. So it's going to be a great, great couple of hours on Equestrian Legacy Radio's Campfire Cafe and Saddle of America. But right now, let's get to a great song from Corinne's new CD called Home. This is a song called Burn It Down, and when we come back, we'll be talking with Corinne Murray today on the Campfire Cafe. You'll be sleeping in your big bed light. 
Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. We just heard Burned It Down, performed by today's featured guest, Corinne Marie. Inspired by the mountains of Colorado, where she was born and raised, Corinne Marie is a songwriter from the heart who is passionate about sharing her stories and playing her unique brand of music. In 2001, country music quickly became her passion when friend and mentor Michael Martin Murphy suggested she learn I Want to Be a Cowboy Sweetheart. After 19 years of continued dedication, her talents as a guitarist, singer, songwriter have won her numerous awards and opportunities to showcase her talent to audiences large and small. Corinne's heart beats for music. Not only is music an important tool in her life for conveying emotions and feelings, but it's a powerful bridge to the people around her. It's also an instrument for storytelling something she fell quickly in love with through her upbringing in the country genre. And to me, her new album, Home, is her most personal yet, with each song a compelling story. Please welcome back to Campfire Cafe a singer who compares herself to the middle note C on the music scale, a major key that brings that rings bright and provides comfort and connection to many of its listeners. Corinne Marie, welcome! Hey, thank you so much. That makes me sound like much better than I am. (laughs) Middle C. I did that article in Montrose, Colorado, and I cannot believe you found that. How funny. Uh, (laughs) I thought it was wonderful. (laughs) 
this sweet gal sent me all these questions, and that was the question. I was like, I have no idea how to answer this. So I thought the longest and the hardest about that question. How funny. Hey, Corinne, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm Thanks doing so much great. for having me back. Well, you're so welcome. So glad to have you back. This CD, I think, is the best one yet. And uh, the Aww. title of the CD is Home. And um, and I've already talked, we talked a little bit before the show started, but I think the cover of the CD itself is just gorgeous. And tell us who did the artwork for that. Who did the photography? Well, well, thank you so much. You know, I grew up in the mountains, and we've always been really family-oriented, and my mother has always loved taking my promo pictures and my album artwork. And so I figure why change something that's worked so well. And so my mother took those pictures on this album. Well, Mama did a good job. So you tell her she. You know, she always she she just got an eye for. She's an artist herself, and so she just has an eye for it and loves it. So I'm thankful that she's patient and you know takes the time to help me a little bit. Well, she did a great job. So let me ask you just a little bit about how this past year has been. Did most of the music for Home was that written this past year, recorded this past year with the COVID deal went off? Yeah, you know, the for one of the first songs that I wrote for this album, I was actually in Nashville, um, and the, the track is called Tennessee. I wrote that while I was on my friend's porch right after that tornado came through town. Oh, no. And that mm. was right before COVID mm. shut everything down, and so that was kind of the start of all my songwriting for this album, and when I came home, as you probably remember, the world kind of closed, and so I spent just a good solid six months, eight months writing songs. Um, and I was supposed to head back to Nashville in May of 2020 to record all the new songs. And that obviously did not happen with COVID. And yeah. so I kind of had to put it on hold for a while. And then later on, I just decided, I guess it was early early this year, I decided I was done waiting. And so I bought all this recording equipment and I set up a home studio in my little cabin. Um, oh, wow. And I recorded it from home. So, wow. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it was quite the experience. It really was. I thought, this can't be that hard. And about one track in, I thought, what am I doing to myself? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, you know, if you're in Nashville, everybody has a home studio. And so they some do, are and really, I think really like, good. Yeah. It's, I yeah. think it's great. That's how I recorded Queen of the Mountains was in my friend's home studio in Nashville. And so I, like, I kind of got to see how it worked. And I just got really inspired to do it. And the funniest thing to me about it is that this little cabin I live in now um, was the house that I recorded my very first album in. So it was really? just kind of a whole project that just, you know, it filled me up, and I just knew it had to do it. Well, that, that is super, super, super. We're going to get to a, another song from the album, and that's called Forget What You Think. Tell us about this song. How did you come to write this? You know, I think it was from the whole COVID mess that I had so much time to think about life and all the things that I've gotten to do and lessons I've learned. And one thing in this business is I think people get these preconceived notions about you as an artist and what they think you'll be like. And sometimes you're not at all what they think. And so I thought, well, maybe I should write a song about that very thing and that you should get to know people before you make up your mind about them. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that? Well, this is a great song. It's called Forget What You Think. We'll be back in just a moment to talk more with Corinne Marie today on the Campfire Cafe. 
Our special guest today is Corinne Marie. That is Forget What You Think, and it's in the CD home. So forget what you think. Tell us a little bit about where you live. You said you were in the cabin that you grew up in. And what do you do when you're not recording and touring? You know, I especially last year growing up here, I have fallen in love with the mountains and the outdoors and horses. And so growing up, that's what I mostly got to do, especially not on the road. And so last year when everything closed, I got back to that, which was so wonderful because I've been on the road now for, gosh, 20 years. And so it was so nice to just kind of try new things. And I spent most of my summer hiking and kayaking and, you know, just taking a breath of fresh air. So it's kind of kind of neat to still live in the same town that I grew up in and know that I could come home, have a place to land, and then still, you know, pursue a career and do what I do what I really want to do. Does uh, growing up in the town that you grew up in, does everybody now realize that you are a celebrity? <laughs> you know, I don't know about that. I think I'm still just a small town kid, you know, like Univista is not very big. We finally uh, got two stoplights. That was a big deal for us, was getting our second stoplight. And <laughs> and a lot of people have discovered this little valley, so I doubt it stays this small for much longer, but I'm certainly fortunate to get to live here still. Well, that is that is so cool. That is so cool. Well, I think Mine people is are in the cold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh. Now, now, the area that you're in, do you get to do any snow skiing there? Because I know that you were working at a dude ranch. Uh, a few years ago, we were talking, and you were working at the Dude Ranch and performing up there some. Uh, much snow around your area? You know, we've got at least four or five big resorts within an hour and a half from where I live. Okay. Um, so okay. my family and I usually go over to Ski Cooper because it's a small family resort, and I don't have the edge that I once did. I kind of like to ski nice and slow these days and avoid injury, but we do. <laughs> In the good years, we ski quite a bit, and I did. I sing still every summer at Elk Mountain Ranch, and I think those are my favorite gigs, are the ones that are 30 minutes down the road. I don't blame you. <laughs> I do not blame you. I do not blame you. Well, this is, again, a great album, and I could not have you on without playing this song, and uh, it's Tennessee. So you said you wrote this on a friend's porch after tornadoes came through Nashville? Yeah, that's correct. I was in town for about two weeks. Um, I had met a booking agent at a show that summer and came out to have a meeting with him, and things didn't go quite as planned, and so I was doing all the suggestions that he'd made, and that was to get on some writer's rounds and do some co-writing, and so we were at the local um, that Monday night playing around, and I thought I was finally catching my break, and I had some songwriters who'd had some hits in the past come up, and they said they wanted to write songs with me. And so we scheduled all of our writes for Tuesday morning. And as you know, uh-huh. it was that Monday evening, that tornado touched down. And yeah. so I was feeling all emotional because I thought I, you know, I got my break and I got my chance and then it got put on hold. And so with all my emotions and never dealing with the tornado before, I was really missing home. I was a little homesick and needing my family. And I just, I think I channeled all that into, into that song. Well, another great song from the CD Home. This is called Tennessee.
today. Um, Corinne Marie, I love this photograph on the homepage or the bio page of your website. And you've got a dog and a guitar. And I want to know the <laughs> name of that dog. And I want to know what kind of guitar that is. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have to look at what the picture that is. I'm going to guess. Oh. It's on my homepage. <laughs> Is it an album? I think it's on the bio. Or is it a photo? Uh, the bio page. I think it's actually on the oh, bio gosh. page. You know, it's the funniest thing charming. about my photo shoots is that my dogs love to bomb them. They know the routine <laughs> and they know when the camera's out that they pose and they will not get out of the picture until they get their photo taken. And so that is Rio in that photo. And he is my seven year old border collie. Um, and he just, is. oh my gosh. He's a little sweetheart. He's an adventure dog for sure. He loves, he hikes most of the 14ers with me, and he's my adventure companion for sure. And the guitar, that's the guitar that I've had since I was, gosh, probably 12 years old, and it's a little Martin, and I still play that today. Okay. So is that what we're hearing on these songs? Is that the, um, the guitar you're playing on this album? Yeah, it sure is. All the acoustics. Um, I played acoustic rhythm and the finger-picking parts, and I actually played a lot of the lead electric parts. Um, and then oh, Ryan okay. Murphy came in and played mandolin and the acoustic lead. So that is okay. one of the instruments. And then I bought a Fender Acousticaster and then a Stratocaster. Those are the three main oh. guitars that I use on this album. Oh, how fun. <laughs> You know, so really when you travel, yeah. Now, when you travel for gigs and such, um, do you take how many instruments do you take with you? 
Well, it just kind of depends on my own gigs. Um, I usually just take one acoustic because playing as a solo artist, that's really all that I need. Um, and then when I'm on the road with Murphy, sometimes it's two to three guitars, depending on mm-hmm. if it's a full band date or a trio date or what we're doing. Okay. Oh, how fun. Which means I need um, a, a roadie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how many hats do you take with you? <laughs> So that's oh, this is a woman question. thing. If I'm driving, if I'm driving, I can take more than one, but on those little flights, it's usually one. Yeah. <laughs> you can't ship yeah. those through yeah. baggage. They'd come out mangled. Oh, yeah. That sounds, do, that sounds like buy, a woman thing. That sounds like a woman thing. How many hats do you take? Do you, if, you, if you fly, do you buy a seat for your guitar? I don't. Actually, my guitar fits in the overhead bin. And it if you does. read the fine print on all the airlines, they have to let you take it on. As long as it fits in the overhead, you get to carry it on the plane. So, Okay. <laughs> it works out pretty well. Yeah, we and then lo- that way it's never out of we, your sight. Yeah. Yeah, we we love to know the backstories to the, you know, the performer's life. And so another question, and then uh, we'll get to another song, is I think, I do believe our, all of the songs on this um, album are, you have written, they're all originals to you. You want to yeah. talk to us a little bit about your songwriting process, how you capture the idea, are they running through your mind all the time, do you, do you, you know, what I mean is do you write them down in a little notebook or are you singing them into your phone or how do you keep track of the thoughts that you have for songwriting? You know, it's kind of a a gamble when it comes to it, because if I've got paper in front of me, I always choose paper. I love putting a pen on paper. That's just, I think, what helps get all my thoughts out. But when you're horseback or you're in the mountains, usually the cell phone is the best way. Um, And so it just kind of depends. I mean, sometimes I get really inspired being outside somewhere on an adventuresome place, and sometimes I'm just practicing guitar and something comes to me and so a lot of these songs came from just being home and really thinking about life um you know love heartbreak adventure all the good things sometimes the bad things um one of my favorite songs on the album is probably over the mountain because i wrote that uh during probably one of the harder times of the pandemic for me emotionally realizing that this was just one one more big mountain that i had to get over um and then i realized Mm -hmm. it was all of us on this mountain together and so I think that's probably one of my favorites um, that I'd written during mm. the stay-at-home deals, and that was probably one of the more emotional songs for sure. I know Gary has that on the playlist, um, but the next song, I think, do you still want to do next, um, Old Dodge? Let's do, let's do Old Dodge next. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So tell us a little bit about Old Dodge, and then we'll take a listen. Old Dodge, okay. Well, that's probably one of my other favorite songs. I grew up learning to drive in my dad's 93 Dodge pickup. My brothers and I, that was our first vehicle, and of course none of us could reach the pedals because we were so so short, and so my dad would make shift something up and we'd drive around the property. And I think because of that, I fell in love with Dodge vehicles, and so my first Durango, and then it came time to retire the poor old Dodges because my dad's pickup got 400,000 miles, and my poor car had 230 mm-hmm. And I needed a new vehicle. And so I was feeling all sentimental and emotional about these vehicles, which is ridiculous. But I thought (laughs) I need to write a song about these trucks because I grew up in these vehicles and they took me anywhere and everywhere I needed to go. Well, that's pretty cool. And uh, they they become our friends. Yeah. 
They do. So, so Grant, you'll have to. Yeah, you'll have to write a. You'll have to write a song about my four Ford. That's kind of the truck. You know, if uh, Dodge doesn't ever want to buy this song, I'll have to change the words to Ford or Chevy or whoever wants it. There you go. There you go. Let's let's take a listen to Old Dodge. We'll be back in just a minute to talk more with Grin. about the fact that you barely touched 
or didn't touch when your dad was teaching you to drive. Um, which <laughs> brings me to another subject when you were just a little thing. And I, and I love the story. And for our worldwide audience that has never heard you tell it before, and you may be sick of it, but tell us about the first time you met Murph and playing with about The first time I met Murph? Yeah. Okay. You know, I don't think I'll ever get tired of this story because this is kind of how, you know, my my career came to play and how my life got started in the right, you know, the right musical path. Um, so I'd always been involved in the arts and community theater and music, but I never knew what I was going to do with it until I met Murphy back in 2001, and he opened a singing cowboy ranch here in Nathrop, of all places, and then... He's a big, for those of you that know him, he's a big history buff. And so he got really involved in our community. And we have an old theater that my mom was on the board of. And so Murph joined that uh, board as well. And one night after their meeting, they Murph got his guitar out and started playing a little music. So my mom called my dad and said, you need to bring the kids in right now. Because Murph's playing in the corner and they could sit at his feet and listen. I had been about nine years old at this time and so we get in there and a friend introduced us and said you gotta hear this little kid sing and so he told me to learn I want to be a cowboy sweetheart and if I did I could come out to the cowboy ranch and sing with him and so he had always been my hero we used to go see him at the National Western Stock Show for Evening of Dancing Horses and I just I always thought he was you know probably one of the coolest people in the world I just loved his music, and so my, my dream was coming true that I finally got to meet this man, and now I got to sing with him. And so 4th of July, 2001, was the first time that I got on stage with Murph, and I think he just loved it so much, and my family, and we all became friends, and he invited us back um, any time that we wanted to come to the Cowboy Ranch, and then it came to going to West Fest in New Mexico and other gigs around Colorado, and you know, it's been kind of a crazy journey since then. I opened the shows and just guest starred for a while and uh, went on tour after I graduated college. And I think after a couple years of that, he realized I wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> and so now I play lead guitar in his band. And it's kind of crazy to look back at all these years and how it started on a little cowboy ranch. You know, 20 years ago, it's just kind of mind-blowing. And I think you have to reflect sometimes that dreams do come true. You just have to keep pursuing them and keep trying, and it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat to see how far this has come. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. And you guys are getting ready to do Michael Martin Murphy's Cowboy Christmas Tour. And, uh, and That I is think, correct. I think somebody said you had between 12 or 15 shows that you could be doing. Yeah, somewhere in there, and there's always room to have some extras, but as we all know, Things are a little unsure when it comes to live events, and so I think they're proceeding with caution. But I do know there's at least, I think you're, you're right, 12 to 15 dates, and we start off in Colorado here in just a few weeks um, before Thanksgiving. So that'll be really fun to get in the spirit for Christmas since we, you know, missed the tour last year. Yeah. Well, it's pretty amazing the way that things happen, and, and, and it really changes your life. So oh, it does. One moment. Yeah. One moment, one dream, the right place, the right time. Like, it's just pretty pretty mind-blowing sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which brings us to another song. 
uh, has nothing to do with this, but it's called Dead and Gone. So tell us about the song. <laughs> so I guess that song came about. I wrote that the same time that I wrote Burned It Down, and I guess I was in a mood. That's the only reason I can explain those two songs, is I was just in a mood, and I don't know if it was a happy mood or a sad mood or just kind of a I'm not sure mood. And so I started thinking about different relationships that I've had and my brothers have had and other people. And I thought, you know, sometimes there's just relationships that won't go away. You know, people think you should keep making it work. And sometimes you have to stop and say, we only dated for two weeks. It's not going to work out. We're not in love. <laughs> and so I just kind of had to write a song. I was in a mood. What can I say? I love it. Dead and gone, Corinne Marie on the Campfire Cafe.
Dead and Gone from her new album, Home. We're having such a great time chatting with you. Um, I came across an article in True West Magazine published back in 2012, and it was a list of questions. It was just a simple list of questions, and then you, you know, had to give a response. And I thought they were really fun, um, and I thought I might just re-ask you a couple of these. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So, um, for instance, um, one of them was, uh, let's see, I I love playing at, and and back in, in 2012, you said the Hebrew City Cowboy Poetry Gathering. Where do you love playing at, if you were to answer that today? Oh, man, there's so many great places. I would still say Heber is probably, probably still in my top five <laughs> venues. Um, but recently okay. we played several shows at the Tabor Opera House in Leadville. And it is oh. one of the coolest places, coolest old venues out here. And they were closed last year, but I think they're booking – for next year and so hopefully we'll get back in there but if you ever get the chance that is definitely a place you should stop and visit oh how fun see this is fun okay favorite song to sing in 2012 the answer was fire and rain what is it today okay. you know i guess if it's one of my songs it would probably be probably actually dead and gone and then if it's a cover song <laughs> somewhere over the rainbow I love it. I think okay. Somewhere Over the Rainbow is one of my all-time favorite songs to cover. Uh, okay, great. hottest thing in the Western music world. You said Pat Flynn's smoking guitar skills. <laughs> what would you say today? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I can definitely uh, tell where I was at that point in my life. <gasps> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. It's been that I feel like hard it's been one. so long since I've been at a cowboy gathering. I don't even know what the hottest thing would be right now. Okay. Hey, Corinne. Okay. Corinne, I'm, I'm seeing yes, it on Sunday night at the Bluebird, so I'll tell Are you. Are you really? Well, give him <laughs> a hug for me, please. I will do that. Well, yeah, he, you, you, you mentioned you him a couple him times. Still his leg. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one more. Okay. Okay, here's one more. The best book I read and you answered songwriting, a complete guide to the craft, and I hope textbooks count. What would you say today? Oh, I was in college when I did that article, I think. (laughs) (laughs) No, I did a little bit of reading and I got really into reading um some A B Guthrie Junior books and I think one of them was Big Sky that I read that I really enjoyed. Mm Mhm. Mhm. Okay. That's it. Okay, one more and then we'll move on. One more. Oh. Best western <laughs> I saw. Best western I saw you answered True Grit. What would your answer Ooh. be today? Oh, I think my favorite right now is Open Range. Oh, that's a good one. I think it came out before <laughs> True Grit. I'd have to look, but Open Range I think is my favorite. I've decided. I think it I think it did come out uh before the remake of True Grit. Yeah, I think it did. Well, let's see. The next song we're going to get to, I think, is uh, Over Again, Gary. Is that we still Over have time on the set list to do that one? All right. Tell us Over a little again. bit about that, and then we'll play it. <laughs> so this one, I feel like every album has to have a really sappy, you know, broken-hearted song. And so this one came about because I had just, which is ridiculous. This song is so so sad but so funny to me. I was sitting on the couch, and I had just broken up with a boyfriend and realized, 
that that was a really, really dumb thing to do during a pandemic because how are you supposed to meet anybody new when you can't leave your house? And then I thought, well, maybe, maybe I could rekindle, you know, rekindle the fire a little bit. And then I thought that's an even worse idea. So I just wrote a song about it. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Over again, don't do this during a pandemic. <laughs>
visiting today with Corinne Marie, and you have been absolutely a fantastic guest on the show. I love having oh, you. Oh, I think it comes from you all, you know, being so kind and being willing to do this every year. So I sure appreciate you having me back. Well, I love having you on here. So tell everybody how they can get your music. Well, you can get it on any digital music platform like iTunes or I guess it's Spotify and all the others. Or if you're like me and you like hard copies and the album experience, you can get hard copies off of my website, which is CorinneMarieMusic.com. All right. CorinneMarieMusic.com is the place to go uh, because I bet you might even autograph CDs. I certainly will, and I've got some hats and T-shirts and hoodies and all sorts of good stuff. And with the holiday shopping season coming up, you know, I'm a firm believer in shopping local and supporting, you know, your local people and and spreading the love. Spread the love, and uh, and we could all use some of that, Bobby. Oh, uh, yes, we can. <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, it has been so much fun having you on the show. You told us a little earlier that Over the Mountain was your favorite. So tell us a little bit about this song and why is it your favorite. You know, it came about the start of it. I guess I should have said that earlier. When I wrote this song, I had written the chorus after having a bad year a few years back, and I put it away because I needed, I just needed to not write another sad song. And so when the pandemic came around, I figured at some point in my life there would be something big that happened that would inspire me to finish that song. And sure enough, 2020 happened, and I just felt really moved to write something that could bring people together. And I think that's my one of my favorite things about music is how it can connect so many people going through different things at different times of their life. And I think 2020 was an emotional year, and for me, I just wanted to write something to tell people that we were going to get over the mountain because that's how I've always looked at life is just another mountain. Some of them are like speed bumps and they're easy, and some are like the 14ers that just about kill you by the time you get to the top. But you always get there, and it's always going to be okay. All right. Well, this is a great song. And, again, it's from the album Home. Be sure and order that from com, and you can keep up with her tour schedule as well. Corinne, thank you so much for being with us. Hey, thank you both so much, and I, you know, wish you all wonderful. We get over the mountain, things will be fine. When we get over the mountain, there'll be plenty of time. We get over the mountain, it won't be. Over the mountain 
Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Stephen Latham, the producer of the Mustangs, America's Wild Horses. But right now, let's take a listen to one of the songs that is on the soundtrack of the album. It's Bruce Springsteen's Chasing Wild Horses. We'll be back in just a moment on Saddle Up America. Guess it was something I shouldn't have done Guess I regret it now Ever since I was a kid Trying to keep my temper down Chasing wild horses Chasing wild horses Chasing wild horses Left my home, left my friends I didn't say goodbye I 
contract out to BLM Up on the Montana line Chasing wild horses Chasing wild horses Where I was And after sundown There's two men in the chopper Two on the saddle on the ground the evenings we hop in the picker Heading to town for a drink Make sure I work till so damn tired Way too tired to think You lose track of time It's all just storms blowing through You come rolling across my mind Your hair flashing Like wild horses Just like wild horses Just like wild horses
Welcome back to Up America on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. I'm your host, Gary Holt. Joining me is Bobby Bell from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And we are very excited to have you join us today. Good to have you. We're very excited to have Stephen Latham, who is the producer of the Mustangs, America's Wild Horses. Hey, Stephen. Hey, Gary and Bobby. How you guys doing? Great. Great, great. We're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question for you. This is a fantastic movie, uh, but why Mustangs? Well, this to me is was one of the great untold stories, uh, and and it was a story that needed to be made um, with, with our approach. Our approach was in ninety minutes. Let's give you a little bit of history. Let's get you up to the current situation about wild horses and where we are today, and then let's show some of the challenges moving forward. But but let's focus this as an American adventure and take people to places in America that they probably haven't been to or haven't seen, and then let's meet some really great people along the way. Let's Let's find organizations and groups that are doing something positive. But I got introduced to this topic – um, when I was making uh, another project for PBS about shelter animals, somebody knew that I really liked to do projects about animals, and they had said, right. hey, did, did you know that veterans and wild horses are being paired up? And it was something I knew nothing about, and it began all of my research into what the heck is this topic about, where are these wild horses, and why doesn't anybody know about them? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because um... – we were talking with other people the other day about horse, wild horses, and they said, you mean they're still existing out there? And I said, yeah, about 150,000 of those are out there right now. Yeah, but talk it's to amazing. Us, I mean, yeah. Talk to us just a little bit about how many wild horses they are and where, and, uh, and this film addresses some of the things that are being done that correct the situation that we have with overpopulation. But tell us a little bit about the wild horses. So the wild horses have an incredible history. And, you know, that's the other reason why I wanted to, to, to do this, to do the story when I, when I really researched it um, with my team is the, you know, the idea that today's modern horse, today's wild horse connects us to our past, our collective past, you know, the horse and, and human have been partners, you know, hand and hoof for, hundreds of years and they helped build this country and the the lineage of the modern wild horse goes back to the 1500s and it's an incredible story uh and the one thing that like you said that people don't realize is that they still exist and they're thriving in a lot of places there there are close to 90,000 uh wild horses on our public lands that are managed by the bureau of land management and there's about 50,000 that are in government corrals that have been rounded up. And it's, it's an exciting topic. Um, they're, on, they're in 10 western states. Um, about half are in Nevada, um, but they spread from Colorado to Wyoming and um, from California, but, but predominantly in 10 western states. And, and you have a lot of wild boroughs that are mixed in with this as well. Um, right. But it's, uh, it's an amazing because there are a lot of these places where the wild horses live are are really challenging to get to um, but they are on our public lands and, a, and the other thing I really love to remind people about is that 
these are our horses and these are our public lands. And, you know, we can get into some of the other issues about them, but the, the one thing we're never taught in school is that really this is, this is our land and we should have a say and a voice in how they are managed and, and make sure that they are preserved for future generations. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was really interesting because the film addresses uh, the 1971 Act and talks a little bit about Mustang Annie. And I, Bobby and I were talking before the show. She, she, she had never heard of Mustang Annie. Tell us a little bit about Mustang Annie and how she got involved in this back then. So Velma Johnston, um, you know, better known as Wild Horse Annie, is considered the Gandhi of the Wild Horses. Um, she is um, someone that has been forgotten to history. Um, we, we brought her back to life because she is pivotal of today's wild horses. Um, she was a chain-smoking secretary in Nevada, and she didn't like the way that you know, wild horses were, were being treated. And she started working on wild horse issues in, in Nevada, and she took it all the way to D.C., and she mobilized an army of kids who really care about saving the Mustang. Because you're, we're talking about at a time where Mustangers would go out there and they would be rounding them up. And, and, and in the 1900s, from literally from 1900s through, you know, the 1950s, 1960s, before the act was passed, um, we really did our best to eradicate the wild horse. Um, you know, as much as we love to talk about them and revere them, um, they used to do these things in the 40s called the roundups and groundups, where they would round them up and turn them into dog food. And we took about 2 million wild horses in the beginning of 1900s to in about less than 40 years down to between 10 and 15,000. So we, we almost did it. We almost, uh, we almost made them extinct. But Wild Horse Annie came along in the 50s, 60s, and really started working on this issue and, and recognized that this was a, uh, an American symbol. Uh, a symbol of freedom, of independence, uh, really representing, you know, the, the values of, of America. And the kids that got involved, which is a really good lesson that your voice matters on, on issues, um, went all the way to D.C. and they passed the, the Wild Horse and Burrow Act in um, December of 1971. So we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of this law that gave federal protection to wild horses. So a lot of the, the, the actions today are governed by that, by that law. And there's been some unintended consequences, which has allowed them to really, you know, grow in numbers um, because they're also supposed to only have certain amount on these different areas within our public lands. So, you know, we're dealing with a lot of challenges about the wild horse issue. It's, it's, it's very complicated, but we try to distill that in the film to make it a really exciting film to watch, but understand what's at stake between federal law and how states are managing wild horses and trying not to oversimplify where a lot of people see wild horses and say, Hey, they're so beautiful. Let them be free. Just leave them alone. Let them be free. And that's unfortunately not, um, how not possible. They're, they're being managed. So, so we really try to explain to people that this is a very complex issue. Um, but that shouldn't stop us from doing the right thing. Yeah. When I, uh, and thank you for, for sharing the film with me because you did that because we were doing this interview today. And um, uh, as I was watching the film, it's like, man, I know some of these people. They're, they're movie stars now. And uh, we're, we're talking about a lot of our friends with the Mustang Heritage Foundation. 
So mm-hmm. Mustang Heritage Foundation has taken a big part in helping to find for these horses. Talk to us just a little bit about how you got connected with them in the film and what they're doing. Yeah, so the, the Mustang Heritage Foundation has been um, tremendous, and we've worked with lots of different people there. Ann Souders is, you know, is a well-known person at the, at the Mustang Heritage Foundation. She's been terrific. Um, so the Mustang Heritage Foundation has a mission to, um, to really help you know, these, these horses, um, once they're rounded up, to get adopted and to let people know about them. And they do, um, they're really known for doing um, competitions where you have everything from what we showed in the film, which is the Extreme Mustang Makeover, which is kind of like the Super Bowl of wild horse competition. And then you have regional um, uh, competitions where trainers um, will adopt a wild horse from literally from a Bureau of Land Management corral, a pen. And in, in most cases, they get about 100 days wild horse and get ready for a competition. And then the purpose of that competition is for people to have an opportunity to adopt a trained horse um, and also to show how magnificent Mustangs are. <laughs> and, um, but, but we filmed um, in Fort Worth, and we followed uh, for the Extreme Mustang Makeover, and we, we followed trainers. And a big part of documentary filmmaking is that the story unfolds in front of you. And we, we were following a trainer named uh, Brittany Johnson who was training a, um, a horse that came from Wyoming, a horse named Pearl Snap. And we followed her while she was training at a ranch. And then when she got to Fort Worth, and then we found a group that wanted to adopt Pearl Snap, and that became part of the story. So we literally you know, followed a veterans organization who said, hey, I think, this, I think this horse would really work great for our program. And, um, and we've got, you know, Patty Gruber's on the line, and she and her organization adopted Pearl Snap at Fort Worth. So we went up, followed them up to Illinois. And so a big part of the film also shows the work that these individual organizations are doing. And this one just happens to have two of our American heroes involved, our, our U.S. veterans and our, our Mustangs. And that relationship is healing and incredible and, and really brings attention to, um, to two issues that we need to do a whole lot more about. Yeah. Well, and. We want to bring Patty on in just a moment, but right now we want to listen to another song from Mary Kay Holt called We Dream of Horses. I think many of our horse-being audience out there can relate to this. And when we come back, Stephen, let's bring Patty Gruber on and talk about the work that she's doing with Operation Wild Horse. We'll be back in just a moment on Saddle of America. Little boy tugged at his mama's hand to get that pony ride. A little scared when he climbed on, but when it was over, he cried. All the way home in the car, he chanted that pony's name. Now every Christmas and birthday, his wish list is the same. And he hears them calling his name And he needs the drum of his feet The swing is dried in the wind and a horse's mane 
climbing right back on. Shovel stalls hauled hay in the snow, fed horses before dawn. School bell rings when she's at the gate, calling that pony's name. Years will come and years will go, but this will never change. doing 
unbelievable work, and they have a stable, you know, full of Mustangs and veterans in uh, about 55 miles north of Chicago in Illinois. And uh, so I, I'm excited that Patty's with us. And uh, here's Patty Gruber from Operation Wild Horse. Hey, Patty. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. And that was such a nice introduction, Stephen. Thank you. <laughs> so, Patty, why Mustang? Why not Mustang? <laughs> That's probably my best answer. I like that. So Mustangs are absolutely some of the most amazing creatures on this planet. I have been fortunate my whole career with horses to work with all different breeds of horses. But I can tell you as a lifelong hurt, I have learned more about horses in the time that I have been working with Mustangs than I have learned throughout my whole entire career. And what I mean by that is you really learn to listen to the horse and you learn to pick up the subtleties in their language that they're giving off to you that you may or may not ever pick up from a domestic horse. So when it comes to working with them, they very much so mirror what they're getting from you. So if you come in and you have an agenda and you're like marching up to them like, oh, yeah, I got this, they're going to go, hold on, I am backing away from you, and we are going to come together and do this as a partnership, and this is not going to be on your terms or my terms. And it's all about the relationship that you build with this once wild animal that is what makes them so magical. How is the relationship uh, between the Mustang and the soldier with PTSD? How do they relate? Well, they relate on a very organic level in the fact that the horses, obviously, when they're out in the wild, learn how to survive based on their fight-or-flight instinct. And if you think about it, All of our veterans who have gone through the military and are active duty, that's literally how they live their lives every single day. When they're put in a situation where they have to make a life or death decision, do I stand here and fight or do I need to get myself out of here? It's really the same decision that those wild horses are making every day to survive. The other piece of this that I think a lot of people don't think about is that both of them at one point in their lives, once the Mustangs come off the range and once civilians sign that paperwork to join the military, they're both owned by the government. So once they're owned by the government, neither of them gets to make a decision about what happens in their life. So when we bring those wild horses together with the veterans coming out of the military and both of them have to start learning how to live in a civilized environment again where they don't have other people making all the decisions for the life that they're going to live, it is eye-opening to watch it from the Mustang's perspective as well as the veteran's perspective where they're both learning how to take their alarm systems down and really take a breath. And sometimes you see it for the first time between Mm. both of them together. It, it, mm-hmm. Magical is the word you will hear me use over and over again, and it's just something that I truly believe is just a magical, life-changing relationship that they build. Mm-hmm. Patty, can I jump in for just a moment? This is um, this is Bobby and Stephen. Hello to you. I I also watched the film, and it's 
wonderful, very uh, encompassing and moving, and certainly asks a couple really big questions. Um, Patty, we've we've been blessed to have some other um, horse therapy programs on this uh, radio show and chatting about uh, work with veterans. And many of the other folks we've talked to talk about groundwork. I thought it was so interesting that the scenes that we see with your organization, the um, the veterans are actually riding the horses. Do you do you also do groundwork as part of the therapy, or or really are are you um, are you encouraging horse and rider partnerships? We are encouraging everything that encompasses having a horse in your life. Our organization was really built on listening to the veterans who came through the door. And they told us what they want to learn, and they continue to tell us what they want to learn. We do have veterans who come in here who never want to get on a horse, but they enjoy grooming them. They enjoy doing round pen work. They enjoy just handling on the ground. We also have veterans who they think that the greatest honor that they could do is be part of our Veteran Mounted Color Guard, which is the only Veteran Mounted Mm -hmm. Color Guard currently in the United States that rides wild Mustangs. Another unique thing that we have is we also have a riderless horse that goes out and obviously over Memorial Uh Day um, does a lot of different events. But we also do some funerals for um, veterans and active duty military who unfortunately passed away. And I can tell you that every time that we have had a funeral to go to, I can say we have a, a Air Force veteran who passed away. I need someone who would be interested in leading the riderless horse for so-and-so's funeral. And every single Air Force person's hand will go up or every single Army Corps (laughs) hand or or Marine Corps hand because it's truly something that we do and we can do that is a huge give back to our veteran community to let everyone know that we are there for them when they are here. We are there for them from the second that they go in as a poolie and they've signed that paperwork all the way through when they come home right after boot camp. So many of them come back and they check in with us and say hi through their years of service. And then their veteran years after that, you know, we're an all encompassing organization where, you know, when they're here with us, it's a program that it's structured and non-structured where they can let us know when they're coming in. But at the same time, if they're having a rough day, they can send me a text and say, Patty, I would love to come in and just see one of the horses today. And I'm like, great, here's the window, come on in during this time. So, you know, we're different than a lot of organizations in the fact that it's truly the veterans that guide the work that these magical Mustangs do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Patty, how long Mm -hmm. does uh, uh, one of our veterans go through your program? We have veterans who've literally been here since the day that we opened our doors. And there is not a starting and end date. So that's the unstructured piece of it. We have veterans that, you know, have come to us five days a week for a year, and then something changes in their life, and they're like, hey, I'm only going to be able to make it every other weekend, or, you know, they've come here every six months and they need a check-in. It is all based on what that specific person does or doesn't need. Okay. Do uh, And and some organizations also work with family members because when when you are going through PTSD uh, you don't come back the same person so family relationships are disrupted quite often do you work with any family members 
your program? We do, actually, and we do in a couple different ways. So we have some spouses that come in, and um, we have volunteer opportunities for any family members who want to get involved. We have a couple spouses who come in um, just privately, um, either with or without their significant other. We have a husband and wife that uh, last winter, actually, one of the things that uh, the veteran had said at one point in time, he's like, you know, it would be so amazing if my wife and I could go for a ride in the snow. And wow. I'm like, you just call me the next time it snows and we will have you guys on two Mustangs <laughs> riding around outside. <laughs> um, you know, and we do, a, we do a, a kid's piece also, though. So every Saturday from 8 to 10 a.m. we have a veterans camp. And we understand that there are times that either mom or dad can't get away from the kids to come here. So we have a, um, a burrow and we have a baby burrow and then we have a miniature donkey that actually came with one of our Mustangs as a package deal. They're a bonded pair. Uh-huh. And we give those kids the opportunity to work with somebody who's a little bit smaller and very quiet. So they may be in the arena at the same time as mom and dad doing whatever groundwork we're doing in veterans camp, whether it be obstacle courses or learning how to, you know, move the horses, haunches, whatever it is that day, they're in there with mom and dad learning alongside of them. And then the final piece of what we do for families is we call it family camp. And we will actually have mom and dad and the kids come in. And most of the time it has been a husband who's been deployed numerous times and he hasn't had enough time to build a relationship with his children. And that husband has to learn how to step out of his military, this is how we do things, and put on his dad hat. And having the opportunity to work with the Mustangs or the Burroughs, it's something that generally that person doesn't know how to do already. So it's not a situation where they're in charge and they're giving the orders. And we've really found that it really builds the relationship that they have with their spouse and their kids. That's great. That is so great. One more question you. for you, Betty. One more question for you. How can people get in touch with you if they would like to be part of your program? And, uh, and I'm assuming that you're a 501c3. How can people yes. donate to you if they'd like to? Well, we are a grassroots organization, so we don't have government funding. We don't have a ton of big foundations behind us. So being that we are grassroots, for anybody who's interested in donating, we tend to do Facebook fundraisers on our Operation Wild Horse-Veterans are on our Facebook page. And we also have a donate button on our website, which is operationwildhorse.org. And then for anybody who's looking to get involved with the organization, um, if they reach out to us through our website or through our Facebook page, I will actually directly get those messages. And you can say, hey, Patty, looking for more information to get involved, and I will get back to you, and I will let you know what the options are. But I will also say the best way to get involved with us is if you're local to us and you want to be involved, show up on a Saturday morning between 8 and 10 a.m. for Veterans Camp. Or if you're a female veteran, we do a special women's veterans camp on Monday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. as well. So if you're local to us, come on out and show up for one of our veterans camps. If you're not as local, um, we have tons of resources, and we're always happy to help facilitate conversations in other areas as well. 
Um, we want to help our veterans and our active duty military bridge those gaps in their lives to connect them with other great organizations if they're not here. So please, you know, reach out, you know, say hi, say that you heard from us on this show. Um, we'd love to hear from you. All right. Well, that is Patty, thanks so much for the work that you're doing with Operation Wild Horse and helping our military and our veterans. And, uh, again, just thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Oh, thank you so much. You know, this program is my heart, and um, I always say that I think I probably get back as much from doing this as the people <laughs> who come in here, and I'm so thankful every day, and I just want to leave everybody with the thought that, you know, we have to remember that in our country we are so fortunate to have the freedoms that we do, but without the men and women of our United States military, that none of us would have the freedoms that we do, and every day we should be thankful, and when you see that veteran walking around with that hat on, make sure you take a moment to say thank you for your service, because our freedoms in this country depend on the willingness of those people to give potentially their whole entire life for us. So Amen. take a moment, thank a veteran, and, and thank you so much for giving us some time on your show, and we really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you. So we're going to take another break. We're going to listen to another song from the soundtrack, from the Mustangs. This is somebody that maybe you know, Mr. Willie Nelson. This one called Ride Me Back Home. We'll be back in just a moment to talk more with Stephen Latham on the Satellite of America. He rode into battle, bareback and saddle. You took the wound in your side. Pull the sleds and you pull the wagons. You gave them somewhere to hide. Now they don't need you and there's no one to feed you. And there's fences where you used to roam. Now I wish I could gather up all of your brothers. And you would just ride me back home Ride me back home To a much better place Blue skies and sunshine And plenty of space Somewhere where they would just Leave you alone Somewhere that you could call home And you just ride me back home I got a small place up in the foothills where green grass is precious as gold I paid a fortune for what little I got here you know that I'd sell my soul To have all the mountains, the rivers and valleys The places where you need to roam and I would 
just gather up all of your brothers And you will just ride me back home Ride me back home to a much better place Blue skies and sunshine and plenty of space Somewhere where they would just leave you alone Somewhere that you could call home And you would just ride me back home Ride me back home to a much better place Blue skies and sunshine and plenty of space Somewhere where they would just leave you alone Somewhere that you could call home And you would just ride me back home Mr. Willie Nelson, Drive Me Back Home, is the song, and that is from the soundtrack, The Mustangs. Uh, I, I want to mention right quickly, you've got some pretty well-known folks involved in this movie, Stephen. Tell us tell us who your executive producer is and some of the other folks that are involved in this. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we've been really fortunate, and, uh, and I'm really... I'm really proud of this film and proud of everyone who's involved. Um, so right off the bat, um, you know, when we started making this film, I, you know, we're, we're making a film about an American icon, you know, the wild horse. And, and I was thinking, well, who's, who's kind of an American icon that somebody that I, um, you know, think of like holding that regard. And, and I kept coming back to Robert Redford. I mean, his, his body of work in film, his body of work outside of film, um, you know, he really cares about wild horses. He cares about horses. Um, and uh, I was fortunate enough to get to him and to send an early version of the film, and he, um, he loved it. He loved the way we were telling it, and he loved that we weren't doing this as an advocacy film, but we were just telling a great story and focusing on really great people and trying to give the information so we could really create a foundation to elevate the conversation around wild horses. Um, but also um, um, Patty Skialfa Springsteen and um, U.S. silver medalist in, in jumping, um, uh, Jessica Springsteen are also my executive producers. And in addition to Bruce and Willie, you know, we've got the incredible Emmylou Harris, the song from her in the film, and uh, an original song uh, that was written by Diane Warren that's performed by Blanco Brown. So everybody that's part of this film believe in it and they believe in the way we told it so you know that to me is a, a big statement because um you know i think we pulled off something really interesting with this project well it is a great film and people are going to be able to see it in in a number of different places and um uh, we'll be showing it here in tennessee i think in january and uh and i think maybe in december in fort worth mustang heritage foundation is to be showing the film, but it will be shown in various places, and you need to get out and see the film. It will touch your heart. It will make you aware of the Mustangs and the different things that are being done uh, to help different people. But one of the things that we've talked about, Stephen, so far is the fact we've got the uh, Mustang Heritage Foundation that works on adoption for these horses. You've got Operation 
wild horse that is using the Mustangs in equine therapy for our veterans with PTSD. But uh, another thing that is being done to help control the population is um, vaccines. Talk to us a little bit about that. So one of the issues that always comes up when you um, talk about managing wild horses is, okay, so they're, they're really good at reproducing. Um, and what we try to show in the film is, um, you know, a lot of people like to say, well, there's so much land out there. You know, there, there's, horses can be everywhere. We, there's millions and millions and millions of, of, of acres of public land. So back to what we talked about of that 71 Act, that federal act, Wild horses are, are, are living on designated areas um, on our public lands. They're called HMAs, they're herd management areas, and they represent about 11% of all of our public lands. Um, but also on that land, it's, it's multi-use, meaning there's, there's livestock um, grazing, there's gas and oil, mineral rights, there's hunting, there's other wildlife that needs to be protected, there's recreation. Um, but we're also dealing with a drought right now in the West. So right. all of those things I just mentioned, sprinkle in a little bit of uh, government bureaucracy because it's very difficult to manage wild horses when you have the Department of the Interior, underneath that the Bureau of Land Management, and then a small division of the BLM is the Wild Horse and Burrow Program. So then the states have their say, and now you're like, okay, now you realize why a lot of stuff doesn't move quickly. Um, so one of the issues, um, because we have gotten rid of all of the natural predators, mainly because of livestock on public land, so you, never, you don't have the mountain lions or the wolves kind of culling the herds, you have right. wild horses that are sort of reproducing unabated. So one of the things that has always been on the table is fertility control. And right now the, the leading technology is a vaccine called PZP. And PZP um, is used, they actually go out with dart guns. Um, they look like rifles, but they dart wild horses, uh, the mares, in the hip, and it prevents pregnancy. And it doesn't affect their hormones, and it doesn't affect the things that, you know, people are concerned with. Um, but this technology has been used over 30 years. Um, on other wildlife species, it's, it's, it's been used for 30 years on the wild horses on Assateague Island in Virginia. So it's there's a lot of people like to say, oh, well, it doesn't work. Don't do this. Don't, you know, it's going to affect this or that. But the fact of the matter is it's proven science. It's only being used in a very few places, unfortunately. Um, we do show a group that's, um, that we call them the, mm -hmm. the grandmas with guns. They're a lovely, lovely bunch of volunteers in, uh, a, in northwest Colorado, near Craig, Colorado, on a HMA called uh, Sandwash Basin. And they go out there and they literally, help, you know, try to um, reduce the birth rate by, by doing these vaccines. Now, they're being used in a few other places, but um, it's not being implemented at a wide enough scale to actually really impact population numbers. So that's, but that's being discussed. There has been um, money allocated to scale this, um, but actually saying it and doing it are two very different things. And right now there are, um, there are some of the roundups that, that are being done by the Bureau of Land Management are pretty large right now. And on some of the, of the horses, they're, do, they're starting to do a little better job is when they round them up, they'll actually dart the horses, then release some of the mares mm -hmm. back out in the wild. But, gotcha. you know, 
when we spoke about, you know, the veterans issue before, there's a lot of ideas that people are talking about that are doable. And as, as I said previously, just because something's hard doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. And veterans that have training to go out in some of these remote places and help with the darting and the paperwork to which mares were darted and which need their booster shots. Right. I mean, what, a, what, a, what an incredible thing if we actually do that. It's like veterans that, you know, need, um, need work and, uh, and can go out there and be part of the solution. So that's another way, you know, some innovative thinking that isn't necessarily being implemented, but there, there are a lot of ideas that are just waiting to be done. And, and I hope, um, you know, fertility control is, is you know, is part of, this, uh, part of this conversation. There is no silver bullet. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing everyone needs to realize. There's no one thing that's going to help with the numbers, the population, uh, with the drought, but there are a lot of things that we can do collectively to work together um, to still have a robust wild horse population in the wild, which is what everyone really wants. I mean, there are some people that want to have them all removed, and there are some people who want to leave them as many as you can. A lot of this is going to be about compromise and working together, but um, having a robust uh, you know, wild horses in America is something we should all want. Well, and one of the things that I think that you bring out in the film is that uh, for folks that didn't even know there were wild horses, we have wild horses. We have a population overabundance. Uh, We have some challenges with grazing lands that are out there. But it also just opens up the discussion for people to try to come up with some solutions, additional people that can come up with some solutions that just might work to help with this. Right. Go ahead, Bobby. Well, I was just going to say that um, all of this books people that you have focused on in this documentary film really are so passionate, um, starting with the author, the Pulitzer Prize winning author, David Phillips, I think it is, who's kind of throughout the entire film. And then we see the the group of women that you just described, the, the, the grandmas. And they talk about their volunteer, you know, how much time and their own personal costs and their tires and, and time and such. But they wouldn't they wouldn't um, give that up, you know. And, and we see throughout this film the individual who gets passionate about something, and that comes even right down to you and your team, get passionate about something and say, we've got to find a solution. And I, I, I really enjoyed hearing the voices of these folks from Wild Horse Annie and all the kids that really made that 1971 act come to fruition all the way through to say, you know what, the individual voice can and does have power. And the individual who gets passionate about this can help find a solution. Were you hoping that within audiences that see this, that that might spark that with some with some viewers who who say, "Wait, I want to, <laughs> I, I want to get involved in that." Were you hoping for that kind of a response? Yeah, certainly. You know, I, I one of the things about you know, um, and and you said it very you know really well. The idea that you know your voice matters, and this is one issue. Um, that, you know, wild horses live in places where, you know, where we don't, where we don't live. So it's, they're, they're out of sight for most people. Um, so when, when we told the story to show people, you know, about their plight, um, about their incredible history to, to today, um, I certainly wanted people to care. And one of the things, one of the, you know, the easiest things is to contact your elected officials 
um, in Washington, D.C., just to let them know that you care about this issue and you want them um, to be managed responsibly and protected because things rise to the top when elected officials hear from their constituents. And for all your listeners, I, I bet, you know, I bet that they're, you know, moved by this conversation about our wild horses and, and the idea that um, they're out there and they, they, need, they need our voice. But I guarantee that most people haven't even said, well, gosh, I, I, I never even really thought about this issue or even thought about calling my elected official. But once they start hearing from people, this is going to be solved when Congress decides that this is more of a uh, priority. And what I mean by that mm-hmm. is um, when you implement, you know, whether it's fertility control or, you know, better managed public lands, you have to have oversight, accountability, and Congress has that role over the Bureau of Land Management. Um, but right now, it's, it's not the biggest priority. So when you hear from individuals and say, yeah, this is an issue I care about and I'd like to know more about it, we certainly wanted to start that conversation um, and to start it by actually talking about it instead of screaming <laughs> because it quickly goes into <laughs> a very, very emotional issue and people just say, mm-hmm. stop the helicopter around us, let them be free. And that's right. not the best place to begin the conversation because um, nobody wants to be yelled at and told that they're the bad guy or they're the enemy. And we have different opinions and we have different stakeholders on our public lands. um, And no one is, is a hundred percent right. So that's why a big part of this is to have really educated conversations about this issue. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. Stephen, we're about to run out of time. I want to tell you how much I appreciate you being on the show today. I appreciate the movie that you produced. And again, we encourage everybody to go out and see the Mustangs, America's Wild Horses. And for Patty Gruber, we thank her for her time today. And uh, Bobby Bell, thank you for your time today. It's always My pleasure. Great. great show. Always great. It's been a great show today. And, uh, and Stephen, we'll stay in touch about this issue. Well, we may bring you back again. Well, I think I think we can safely say we all dream of horses. So we, we, we all dream. Of, I'll tell my wife you said that. She wrote that. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much. We appreciate you. We appreciate our listeners out there. We remind you to tune in next Thursday at noon Central Standard Time for Equestrian Legacy Radio's Campfire Cafe in Saddle of America. And we're going to close the show today with a song by our friend Miss Trinity Seeley. It's called Colts. Became horses. Thanks for listening. Don't count them out, boys. They're coming around to the old cow bar.
there that day. Look in there. 